Uh, well, um, we'll dive into the interesting facts. I broke. I uh, I was raised uh, pretty much dirt broke. So the only vacations I had my entire life was I lived in Indiana, and uh, my parents took me to Six Flags in Illinois. So mm-hmm. until until my honeymoon, that was the only vacation I'd ever gone on, and I haven't gone anywhere uh, exciting since my honeymoon, which was to Puerto Rico. Humanitarian with Sarah Schaefer, bringing the humanity back. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Humanitarian. So today I have on Caleb. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so I like to start off all my podcasts and ask my guests kind of like a weird icebreaker question. Um, so what is your favorite vacation destination? Uh, well, um, we'll dive into the interesting facts. I broke, I, uh, I was raised, uh, pretty much dirt broke. So the only vacations I had my entire life was I lived in Indiana and uh, my parents took me to Six Flags in Illinois. So mm-hmm. until, until my honeymoon, that was the only vacation I'd ever gone on. And I haven't gone anywhere uh, exciting since my honeymoon, which was to Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, but I don't know that I would say that I enjoyed Puerto Rico very much. <laughs> it was uh, a very interesting place. We stayed at a Hilton hotel and, and like there's no... You know, most cities have kind of separations of, of kind of the rough parts of town versus the tourist <laughs> and the nice parts of town. Yeah, yeah. Puerto Rico is not like that. And so you would walk out of your hotel that costs, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to, to build, I'm sure. And there would be like drug dealers on the other side of the street. <laughs> and I just, yeah. it made me real nervous to be there with my wife. I was always like on edge because I'm like, this just seems real sketchy, even though we stayed at the nicest hotel on the island. So, but it was beautiful, nice weather. So I guess I'll say Puerto Rico. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Like where, so do you have like a dream destination? Well, um, I'd like to go to Morocco at some point, but considering the flight is like 17 hours, I'll be surprised if I ever, uh, Damn, ever that's far. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a long distance. Interesting. I've actually been to Puerto Rico before, um, but we went on a cruise. So like, we didn't have to like be there for like, 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 days um but i definitely agree like um we were with our cruise guide i guess so maybe there's a sense of security um but like everywhere you go there's not like a um like main street commercialized tourist area like it's literally just like shacks (laughs) well my my experience was a little probably a little unusual on the fact that my wife is uh, half Vietnamese, half Hispanic, but you wouldn't know if there was any Vietnamese in her. She looks Hispanic. And, yeah. uh, and so I'm white, and we would be walking down the beach, and I guess Puerto Rican guys are not a fan of, like, interracial relationships because there's probably 15 times we'd be getting dinner or something, and I'd hear a whole bunch of Spanish and then gringo. And then, of course, my wife would look down embarrassed. I'm like, I have no idea what that guy just said about me. But uh, they were not happy that she was with me. They thought that, that she should be with a Hispanic guy. So it was just, it was a weird, oh, overall, I'm sure everyone else in Puerto Rico is wonderful. But the people I ran into are not exactly the most accommodating uh, <laughs> individuals. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. You're like, I'm just trying to have a vacation. Like, Yeah, for real, I guess. I, I don't need your your opinions about the fact that my wife is Hispanic and I'm I'm white, but it was, I mean, it was the, the people in the hotel and things were very, very sweet and, and I liked them, but, uh, that happened probably 10 or 15 times while we were on the island. Somebody voiced their opinion of our, of our relationship. So that's crazy. Um, so you mentioned that you're from Indiana. Um, where, like what part of Indiana? Uh, I primarily lived uh, just like 45 minutes outside of Indianapolis in the Greenwood Whiteland area. Oh, okay. Um, so I kind of like to talk about the culture of high school and going to college and those kinds of things. So um, 
like how was your high school experience like did you did you feel like you got a lot out of it or were you kind of just like getting your getting in and getting out uh my educational experience as a whole wasn't very uh wasn't very pleasant you and i actually had um the same teacher mr wetrick i had oh, okay. um, him for that was in middle school my sixth grade year um, but in between, it just Mr. Wetrick and one other teacher would have been the only teachers I had the entire educational process that I thought actually gave much of a crap about about their kids. And uh, and and for me, I'll share a share a funny story that kind of encapsulates to me um, how I felt about school and and why I hated it so much. So uh, I won't say her name, but if she's listening know that that you are the you were the bane of my existence at that uh, stage of life <laughs> i had a choir teacher who was really really mean to everybody and just uh, just really a bad teacher and she threw a stapler at my head in class in oh front of God. everybody in front of everybody and i jumped out of my seat so excited to run down to the principals because i thought well instantly she's going to get fired like the whole class was full of people there was cameras in the room and she threw a stapler at me there's no way that this isn't gonna get her get her fired and the the principal looked at me and said uh, she's the head of the teachers union. So unless you have videotape of her molesting every single person in that class, I couldn't get her fired if I wanted to. And I'm like, okay, oh well that God. kind of, that kind of shows me how this educational system works in the fact that she was tenured and it really didn't matter what she did to kids. It was, you know, she's protected by the union and therefore there's nothing that I can do for you. And, and uh, he was very apologetic and, you know, said he was glad that I was able to dodge faster than she was able to throw. But yeah, uh, that kind of, to me, was a good indication of how the education system ran and the fact that the, the, the interest was not in the well-being of the students a lot of times and it was a lot more on the politics of the system. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't imagine if a teacher threw a stapler at me, I'd lose it. <laughs> like, okay, like... I'm about to sue your ass. Um, yeah. So you did you have Mr. Wedger? Yeah, yeah. He was my sixth grade English teacher. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. What was he like as like a traditional teacher? Oh, he was absolutely incredible. I remember uh, the one memory that sticks out to me most is um, he played, uh, what is it? Stairway to Heaven. And I'm going to forget the band and all the classic rock Isn't people are going to hate me. There you go. I, that's not my genre of music, but okay. uh, uh, so he played "Stairway to Heaven," and then he for the whole class, and then he made everybody digest or dissect the literary themes and the imagery and all of these things. And I just remember thinking, like, well, this is really weird. Like, who plays a rock song? <laughs> um, you know. But uh, I actually it, interviewed him for my podcast that uh, is going to be launching in July. And it was just so surreal to sit across from him, you know, 12 years later or 14 or whatever yeah. it is, um, and just talk to him and, and share stories. And, and I was a pretty uh, difficult, difficult kid. And he remembered many of the times that I made life hard for him. So <laughs> That's great. Um, do you know Jeremy Miller then? Uh, he and I actually went to the same church for a number of years. Um, I didn't reconnect with him until about three or four months ago um, yeah. but he and I he and I were never you know personally close but we have a ton of the same same friends and and went to the same church and things so wow that's so cool like small world I had yes. no idea <laughs> um so did you end up going to college yes I went to a small bible college in Missouri um and majored in youth ministry okay and um I feel like what kind of experience is that like when you go into kind of a more directed path school? Like, do you think it was still traditional or do you think you kind of had your own path? Like oh, it was far from traditional. I mean, I, I you know, obviously I hadn't, um, uh, I was never a huge partier, even in high school. Like I, <laughs> I just, well, to me it's like, you know, I liked, I liked to go to parties to, to get with girls, but I wasn't a big, to me, it's like, I'd see my big, you know, I'm, I was friends with a lot of guys that were, you know, pretty, um, large, like six foot three, 400 pounds. And they would go get drunk and then just 
fall over on the floor and I'm like, yeah. well, I'm, I can't pick you up. So I guess I'll just sit on the couch and make sure you, no one stabs you. You know what I mean? Like I, there yeah. wasn't any getting them out of the situation. So to me, I just like, I watched that a lot. And I said, I don't ever want to be that out of control. Like if, if people could like come up and draw stuff on my face or, or, you know, put me in a dress while I'm passed out, like that's not. So I wasn't really familiar with the college, you know, a lot of college or high school seniors go and party with, you know, at, at the local colleges. I didn't do a lot of that. Yeah. And so I didn't realize just how unique and kind of uh, in a bubble, you know, we didn't have sororities or fraternities. We didn't have, you know, there was never um, the school itself never really put on events. It was very, now granted, it was probably, you know, my entire degree cost me $30,000. So oh, wow. uh, there was, I'm going to guess that they probably couldn't afford to put on a lot of events at the, at the school. Um, yeah. But it was, it was, most people would probably call it boring, but I'm, I'm an extreme introvert and I could yeah. stay in my house and never leave and it wouldn't bother me. So I wasn't really needing or looking for the crazy over the top Van Wilder college experience. So I enjoyed it. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people would, would have thought it was pretty alien. Okay. Well, that's fun that you found, like, somewhere that vibed with you instead of going to college and, like, being really uncomfortable and stuff. Well, I've always had a a um, pretty conservative worldview, um, and I, I had known pretty early on how liberal most um, normal universities were. And while I think it would have been – I wouldn't have minded going to a liberal university and hearing more about the left's perspective – I had heard um, from several friends that had gone to like IUPUI and, and, and some of those places that were more liberal that they yeah. felt like the, the professors um, treated them differently or graded them differently, that they had a harder time overall. And I just, I wasn't interested uh, in having to deal with all that. Interesting. That's where I'm going for school. Oh, sweet. Um, Oh, I hope that's not the case because I don't need any help getting a bad grade. <laughs> oh my well, God. and it, it may it may all be in people's heads, you know how everyone loves yeah. to be the victim. Um, but like, uh, like, oh, my teacher gave me bad grade because they don't like me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, universities have gotten so so odd. You know, the idea of safe spaces, which may not seem weird to you, but that that idea to me seems so odd you know I don't think I could have gone to a college where where the philosophy that ideas are the same as as you know physical violence I don't I don't think I would have vibed very well with that that campus you know what I mean yeah you mean like the hate speech and stuff right right you know with the Ben Shapiro and all those guys and right you know riots happening at you know Berkeley and things because they're they're a conservative is coming to give a speech and people are lighting ATMs on fire over it that just seems so yeah I definitely agree I think it's like it's like fighting fire with fire so like what's your point that you're making like what you're doing is just as bad as what the other person is allegedly doing that's bad like, right I don't understand. Uh, people are weird. Um, so since you had a little bit of a different college experience, um, do you think that it helped you get to where you want to be now? Uh, <laughs> I would probably say no. Um, you know, the, the thing is, it really is true in the fact that, like, it's a lot less about your qualifications and a lot more about who you know um i don't i was a, i was a youth pastor for 10 years and i don't think any employer that i had ever really cared um about my about my educational background it was more about you know um what what size church you had come from previously it was about um kind of your philosophy of of how you were going to do your job and then more or less how well you vibed um, with the staff and with the people hiring you. I don't, I think I could have gone to, you know, some, some crazy off the wall. Cause the thing is like employers have no idea the quality of the school you're going to, you know, yeah. like unless, unless you go to Berkeley or Yale or, you know, Brown, yeah. like the person looking at your resume and it says, you know, North New Jersey university of whatever, they have no, I mean, you could have put that, you know, you could have typed that up and created a website for a fake college. They'd have no, no idea. 
So, yeah. which I, I always, uh, I always wanted to try was just like make up my own school and see if anybody would do their due diligence to, to check it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, people frown on that. I don't know why. So I never, <laughs> I think that's, I really never did. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like my degree did. And obviously now I'm, I'm launching a media organization and, and my degree in ministry really doesn't do anything for me. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't even think that I would be willing to go back to get a degree in, in media. I mean, there's so much free content. Um, yeah. on, you know, I, I spend a ton of time watching guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and, and, and some of those guys that specialize in marketing. And, and I went to, somebody had found out about what I was doing with my media organization. And they had just graduated um, with a marketing degree from a big school locally. And they said, well, let, let me help you with your marketing and advertising. And so I brought over all my stuff and I laid it all out and I said, okay, here's my, here's my 30 day plan. Here's my three year plan. You know, this is how I'm integrating, you know, um, funnels and all of these things. And they just kind of sat real quiet. And I was like, so what do you think? And they were like, well, I just feel bad that I made you drive 45 minutes. Cause there's nothing that I, I would know to tell you that you're not already doing. And all I ever did was spend two or three hours every day on YouTube watching guys that had really big audiences and trying to figure out what it was they were doing to grow those audiences. So, um, you know, that person, the person kind of felt I'm the look on their face was like, I just spent all this money on a degree and you figured out everything they taught me off YouTube. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and I'm not, I'm not brilliant or a great learner or any, you know, I'm I'm slow. So, you know, I just, I feel like now there's so much free content that, college makes a whole lot less sense than it used to. I totally agree. Like I'll literally, um, I'll be like editing stuff or whatever and I'll put on a Gary V podcast and, or something like that, or another influencer, I'll watch a YouTube video and, um, I'll just kind of pick up on things and then I'll implement it and just like, see how it goes kind of thing. And it's crazy because I agree. Like, um, when I went to my, I just got done at freshman orientation for college because my parents want me to go so bad. Um, and, uh, they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, right now I have a multimedia brand. And they're like, we well, should get a marketing degree. And I'm like, I don't need that. I literally said that to the, the, the like coordinator person. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I was, I don't want a business degree. I don't want a marketing degree. I don't even want to be here. <laughs> but um, I decided to go with communications because um like writing and public speaking, I think would be fun if like I have to be at college. Um, I can write a couple essays. Uh, so, but that's funny. I totally agree. Like the content on the internet that you can find, but uh, I don't know. That's just a perfect example. Like we should blast that everywhere about like all of these degrees that are going to get replaced by different forms of media and education. Well, the problem is that a, a university can't, it can't be nimble. I mean, you think about um, just a day or two ago, Instagram introduced, um, you know, IGTV. And so I'm rushing, you know, since I'm launching my whole thing on July 1st, I'm rushing to consume as much content on that platform as possible to learn, you know, but it's going to be two years or three years before anybody sitting in a college university class hears about how to format video at six by nine and, and market on that platform because a college isn't going to take the time to implement it in their uh, curriculum until they quote unquote know it's viable. And yeah. by that point you've missed your window. If, 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 you know, the late night TV show hosts already have a, a show on IGTV by the time you jump in, you lost the whole point of the opportunity. So um, there's just no way for a giant ship that is a university to turn at the speed the internet is turning. Yeah. <laughs> what What is IGTV? I haven't heard about that. Uh, it just released uh, two days ago. Um, it's a separate app, but you can access it inside of Instagram. It's basically their competition to YouTube. So now they're allowing hour-long content um, and people, whoever have subscribed to your Instagram account already will be instantly subscribed to your IGTV channel. So instead of having creators, they're going to have channels. And, um, so it's just, it's, it's more or less their attempt at taking a piece of the YouTube pie. Interesting. I might have to hop on that. (laughs) Well, for me, the big benefit is the fact, you know, YouTube's demographic skews, uh, extremely male overall. 
um, Instagram is a little more balanced in male to female demographics. And so my hope is that uh, by being on IGTV, I can try to pull in some more of the, the female demographic. So. Yeah. And also I've even just as like a consumer of YouTube, I've noticed that like people that I've been watching for years, like people I've been subscribed to forever. Um, like my, cause they just changed like all the algorithms and crap. Um, my, like my feed on the front of my page or whatever, it doesn't show anybody that I like regularly follow and like when they post new content like I have to like go in and search for them and it used to be like like that that's kind of shitty for them because I subscribe to their channel and then I'm not getting any of their content I don't know it's annoying like I don't want to I don't wanna have to filter through all of these people that I like am not interested in watching like I'm not gonna sit down and watch an hour video about Minecraft <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's to me, I mean, there's a lot of things about YouTube that they need to work on. I mean, the fact that I can watch um, one, one video about something random, you know, something that I, I usually wouldn't have watched, but it seemed really, really interesting, that one video. And that, you know, you watch one video about woodworking or whatever it is, and then you click back on your homepage, and it has like 17 suggested channels about woodworking. And you're like, I watched yeah. one video. <laughs> how is your algorithm thinking that it needs to suggest it on that kind of level? Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of work that needs to go into. And I assume that's the opportunity that Instagram, uh, you know, because they're going to separate it out. You know, if you look at if, uh, you should check out the app today. Um, they have it by pages of popular recommended and subscribed, I think are the three. So if you're on your subscribed, you're not going to see any of their recommended content, you know? Yeah. Um, you'll only see the people that you've subscribed to, which I think is a, a smart business decision. Yeah, I think I actually just downloaded it. I'm going to check it out later today. Um, but uh, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that with me. I think that's how did you like find out about stuff like that, like Twitter, Instagram, or something like that? Yeah, I just I try to. Um, well, I, I do the media thing full time now. Um, we're, I still haven't launched yet, but um, luckily. Luckily, my wife is very supportive of me, and I made a couple of, of strategic real estate decisions that have let me save up some money and focus on this full time. And, and so I spend, you know, 16 hours a day in front of the computer just trying to watch for, you know, as I'm creating content, those kinds of things, I'm watching all the big content creators to make sure that, you know, I'm trying to stay on top of any and every opportunity I can. I can yeah, well, that's really cool. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah, so uh, I am in the process of launching as of July 1st of this year um, something called the One True King Media. And so we're an organization that is a, basically a Christian slash conservative um, content creation machine uh, that is aiming to help people think differently about the most important issues of life. And it all kind of stemmed out of the fact that um, I didn't feel like there was any place for people like me. You know, I'm, 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 a, I've grown up Christian and conservative my entire life. And, and so you turn on CNN or MSNBC or even some of the digital channels like Vox and Vice, and uh, you're going to be constantly told as a conservative that you're a racist, sexist, homophobic bigot, you know? Yeah. And so you don't, you don't really want to digest a lot of, you know, that. And so you kind of swing to the right and you look at what they have on the other side. You know, Fox News um, is pretty the predominant, you know, big, big, not predominant in numbers. They're shrinking yeah. in numbers, but as far as, you know, cable and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but even, even the conservative YouTubers like Tommy Lauren or um, Steven Crowder, while I agree with a lot of the points they're making, they're just incredibly cruel about the way that they're communicating them. I mean, the, the fact that, that they think calling people snowflakes and insulting them is somehow going to get them to listen to your perspective. Like that, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem very logical to me. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I didn't feel like I fit with the conservative crowd and there really isn't any Christian media. Like I, you know, cause that was the next logical thought was, well, you know, check out what, what a Christian network has, but you know, more or less all we have is like TBN and CBN and I'm not really looking to have some snake oil salesman sell me water from Israel at 12 o'clock at night. So, um, 
I'm hardest on, on my own people. Uh, you know, and that was kind of my thing. There really is no, um, uh, digital offering as far as that goes. And so I just thought to myself, you know, what, what would happen if a Christian conservative created a media organization that, uh, is kind of based in logic and compassion, but wasn't going to bend to the outrage culture. You know, I'm, I'm, my views are highly controversial, although I don't feel like they should be. Um, yeah. As a conservative, most of the world disagrees with 95% of everything I believe. So where's that balance between, you know, the world is going to attack, you know, which is fine. You know, that, that's, that's part of life. So can somebody figure out a way to not attack back? You know, can they find a way to, to keep that conversation going despite being called names? But on the other side, can they hold their ground? You know, there's so many, even... Even comedians are apologizing now for for stuff that was you know they were doing in arenas and on national television ten years ago. They yeah. do it in a small nightclub in in some part of Atlanta you've never heard of, and they have to go on Twitter and apologize. and And obviously, I don't I don't necessarily agree with most anything that a comedian is is saying, but uh, you know the fact that they feel like in order to to save their career they have to respond to this, this culture. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm aiming to do is to be a conservative voice that refuses to attack people on the left, but at the same time, isn't willing to give in just because somebody starts a petition page to get me shut down. Wow. That's really awesome. Literally, literally me. (laughs) Um, Literally everything I say, people argue with. Um, So like, what would be like an example of something that you're really passionate about um, that, people that's in that controversial pool uh wow that's a you're gonna open <laughs> yourself a can of worms um that's what i guess <laughs> i guess to me the biggest the biggest issue that i see um is this issue of free speech this issue of um you know i i, I want to be fair and critique both sides you know if you say something that the left or liberals don't like, they want to take away your ability to speak. If you say something that the right doesn't like, they don't want to rob you of your ability to speak, but they're going to yell at you so loud that no one can hear any of your opinions. And, uh, and that, to me, is a problem at the point where people are wanting to, A, take away your, your ability to say unpopular things or are you know, so quick to, you know, you turn on Fox News and, and they're just screaming at the guests that they've invited on. They've, they, they make them explain an incredibly complicated position that they have in 30 seconds or less. They have their 30 seconds and then the host has two minutes to tell them why they're a stupid liberal. And it's just like, how is this a conversation? You know what I mean? And it's not designed to, I mean, I don't pretend like Fox or CNN, either one is trying to instigate actual conversation. They're trying to sell television. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's scary at the point where, um, you know, you look at, you look at, have you followed any of the Jordan Peterson stuff? No. Um, you should go Google it. It's fascinating. So there's a professor in uh, a, a, a doctor of psychology at a college in Ontario, Canada. And uh, there was a bill, Bill C-16, that was being voted on in Canada. And basically what the bill did was to make um, transgender and gender-fluid individuals part of the protected group under um, the Human Rights Act that stands in Canada. So yeah. as of right now, you have you know um, gay people or, or minorities or these protected groups that if you say something negative about them, if it's, if it's constituted as hate speech, um, or if, if they feel like you're being, they're being fairly untreated in any area, somebody can be fined and or put in jail for what they say. And as of to this point, uh, transgenders weren't in that group. And so they were voting to add them, basically meaning that if you didn't use someone's preferred gender pronoun, then you could go to jail. And, um, and so Jordan Peterson was a professor and he has all of these, um, all of these lectures online for the last like 15 years. And he just gave one lecture basically saying, I mean, he wasn't even arguing that he thought we should or shouldn't use the preferred pronoun. He wasn't even talking about that. All he said was compelled speech is wrong. 
you shouldn't be able to force me to use any word in particular because the the cultural thing at the time was the fact that there were there it wasn't just a transgender uh, transgender you know uh, man wanting to be called him it was these gender fluid people that said I don't know what I am at any given moment so I want you to call me Z which is X E and or no uh yeah X E and Z and Zer so I'm sorry yeah. so Z E Z E R Z and Zer and his point was like, um, you shouldn't be able to force me by law to use the terms that you want used. And so even in interviews, he said, listen, I'm not telling people not to use their preferred pronouns. All I'm saying is if I would rather call you by your name or call you you or, you know, whatever, I should have the prerogative to say what I feel comfortable saying and you shouldn't be able to put me in jail for it. And this guy was crucified. I mean, absolutely land blasted. He had riots outside of his classroom. His universities um, wrote him two warnings. On the third warning, he would have been terminated. Uh, there was mainstream Canadian uh, news outlets that were comparing him to neo-Nazis. Uh, I mean, it was just absolutely bananas. They, there were other universities that were threatening to fire professors that were just showing his uh, showing his speeches, and they have recorded conversations where a, a TA got called in, and they said, "Why did you play a Jordan Peterson clip?" And she said, "Well, I, I wasn't supporting him necessarily. I was just talking about what's going on in culture." And they said, "Well, that's basically like you playing a clip of Hitler's speeches." Oh my and, god! And and so it was to me, and I know a lot of listeners might say, "Well, that's Canada. They're a lot more liberal." That. It's not the way that it goes. But if you watch on any particular topic, the most liberal ideas start in Europe. They move from Europe to Canada and Canada to the United States. And so you already are kind of seeing this idea spread of um, speech can be violence, right? Um, with, with the Ben Shapiro. That was kind of the, the bedrock of the protesters coming against Ben Shapiro and Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, and they were saying, well, you're, you're stripping me of my humanity because you're not willing to use my gender pronoun or because you don't respect my fill in the blank, you're committing violence against me. And so that's probably the area that I'm most passionate about just because it scares me the most. You know, I'm somebody that, that believes anyone should have the right to say pretty much anything aside from, hey, go kill that guy, you know, inciting violence. Um, I think, you know, if a, if a Nazi wants to get up, and give a speech, I think you need to let them do that because there's no way the world is going to know how perverse someone's ideas are unless they're allowed to communicate them. You know, the reason that, that people know who Richard Spencer is as a white nationalist is because there are videos of him doing speeches talking about how he thinks the white race is better. But if no one ever allowed him to speak, he could make the argument that, no, that's not my position. I'm, I'm misconstrued. Uh, people are putting words in my mouth. But when I play you a clip of him saying, you know, there's no better race than white people, there's no arguing what he is and what his position is. And so yeah. to me, it's an incredibly dangerous philosophy to start trying to rid people of their free speech, even if you think what they're saying is, you know, morally abhorrent. I agree. And I think there's like an aspect too of just um, – like if we try to take away some of those elements, um, like what whatever happened to like celebrating people's differences and those kinds of things like that. And if we all think the same way, then like how are we supposed to grow or learn or anything like that? Absolutely. So through this whole um, journey that you went through, um, what are some ways that this experience has caused you to grow as a person? You know, to be honest, I have been grown through the fact that, uh, how do I put this? I'm going to word this carefully. Um, you just, you don't realize how hostile people are to certain ideas until, um, until you start something like this. You know, I can, yeah. I could read you. You know, because I, I put out commercials on Facebook and Instagram and all these things. And, and obviously, I don't expect everybody to agree with me. I don't expect um, everybody to like what it is that I have to say. But it's been interesting to me 
you know, my commercials up until this point had basically been clips of CNN and clips of Fox News, people yelling at each other. And then I would say something along the lines of, you know, if we really want to change people's minds as Christians or conservatives, then maybe we should stop yelling at people and treat them like people. I mean, that's all my ads say. And, uh, and just the number of people that reacted negatively to that idea. And to me, it's like, how can you be against the idea of being more compassionate and having more conversation? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that anybody should change what they believe to be right. All I'm saying is that, that calling people names is not a defense of your position. It's a reflection on your character. And so, um, I have grown through this and the fact that, you know, I've had to really walk out what I'm trying to advocate. You know, when somebody, uh, the other day, somebody commented on my, um, uh, commented on one of my things, they called me, all they wrote was fag in giant letters uh, in a comment. There's nothing else to the comment, just that word. And so, you know, a part of me I love debating and I am obviously this isn't a video podcast. So viewers can't see me, but I'm built like a 12 year old girl and I have been (laughs) since I was a kid. I mean, I I've always been three feet tall and you know, as scrawny as they come. And so my entire life, if I wanted to avoid physical conflicts with bullies or whatever, I had to get really good at ripping people apart. You know, I, I, my favorite thing was to have some guy up in my face and, and, through the years, I would have cataloged every little comment that they made to me about whatever. And then I would just be like, are you mad because your mom's been strung out on crack since you were a baby, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? I would just go in. Like that was my, you know, because there was no, I mean, I wasn't going to fight him. You know what I mean? Like this guy's like four feet taller than me and a hundred pounds on me. And so, you know, and that was, that was a bad time and I do not advocate things like (laughs) that. But uh, I got really good at, tearing into people in an incredibly efficient way. And so, you know, one of the reasons that I started this thing is because as I got older, I realized that when I'm debating somebody or I'm arguing with somebody, I can rip apart their worldview and make them feel stupid. But what does that do long term? Like even even if for some reason they're convinced by my perspective on that one time that I dominate the argument, if they're not willing to come back to me and talk about any other given topic because they felt so stupid, I've lost. And so uh, it's been interesting and a growing process for me to um, have to practice what I preach. And, and when somebody calls me a name and doesn't even, you know, doesn't present any facts, doesn't present any, you know, cause I clicked on the guy's profile just to see, cause you know, there's troll accounts. I wanted to see if this guy was real or if, or if he just kind of wrote that on every, every interaction he had and the guy was real. And, you know, my cynical brain starts like, you know, looking at the pictures and being like, well, I could do this or say this or whatever. And, and I had to be like, I just wrote him, uh, I, I commented back under it and I said, Hey, so-and-so, I'm so sorry that, that you in, didn't enjoy, um, enjoy the commercial. We're always open to constructive feedback and criticism. If there's anything that you think we could do to improve, let us know. And that's all I said. You know, and, yeah. and, that's, and that's how you have to be. You can't yeah. sit here and proclaim the power of compassion and conversation if the first time you get called some derogatory term, you're going to jump in. You know? So that's been, a, that's been a growing process for me for sure. Okay. That's a really interesting story. Um, I kind of relate to it a little bit. Um, I always, like when I was a kid, I always felt like I had these big ideas and I like understood things that were happening in the world. And like people in school were just so concerned about like Kim Kardashian and like sports and stuff. And I was like, you guys need to care. And like, I feel like I took a similar approach in a different way of like, being aggressive about trying to prove my points and like being like, you will convert to the way I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, but I have, I have realized that a lot is just like um, taking the upper, the higher road and um, you can't win by fighting back with their ignorance. Yeah, for sure. It's you end up, you end up uh, sabotaging your own position you know, and I tell, I tell people uh, in the next year or so, I'm going to come out with a book that's all about how to effectively change the mind of a liberal individual while trying to stay compassionate and, and keep dialogue open. 
you know, but one of the big points that I'm, I make in the book is the fact that like, if you don't have any position to make other than insulting the individual, stay out of the conversation because all you're doing is making my job harder. I mean, if, if I walk into a situation with somebody and I need to talk about immigration or whatever it is, you know, if they already have in their mind a preconceived notion of what a conservative is and it's negative because you gave them that negative assumption, you're hurting me the next time that I try to engage with that person or any conservative tries to engage with that person. And so I tell, you know, I write in the book, I say, if you don't have a good argument, you know, and this goes to Christians too, I'm, I'm hardest on them. Like if you don't have any position other than my Bible says so, stay out of the conversation. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm obviously, <laughs> as, as, as a Christian, I believe in the validity and authority of, of the Bible. Otherwise I wouldn't be a Christian, but it's like, you know, uh, to, to me, the Bible provides a moral structure or the moral answer to life's problems. But if you really believe that God is a God of logic, the way that I do, there's always a logical reason as to why he says what he says. And so whatever thing I talk about, even on issues of faith, I make sure that before I'm willing to open my mouth about it, I have an argument that actually pertains to logic first. Now, if you want to get into the, the scriptural side and the faith side, I, I can always do that. But I'm never going to say, well, God intended it to be X. And it's like, well, you know, unless you're going to let a Muslim tell your wife to cover her face because his Quran says so, maybe don't bring the Bible in as your core argument tool. You know what I mean? I really like that argument. <laughs> I'm in the minority. <laughs> well, There's not a lot of people that think that way in, in my you know, circles. I think that's funny because, um, a lot of my life, like my, my mom is really religious. My dad's, um, ex-wife was really religious. Um, and, uh, I just like felt like I had a bad taste in my mouth for Christianity. And I was just like, whatever, like, screw it. I'm not even going to be part of this religion. Like I'm not going to associate myself with this religion. I hate all Christians. <laughs> I was like, I hate religion. So dumb. If you're religious, like literally get out of my face. And I, um, and I think it's just because, um, of my stepmom, she put a bad taste in my mouth. And I think that there's kind of like these pockets of like, like Christians who are like fake and, and use that, like the Bible says so like that literally irks me to my core. <laughs> and I'm like, but I, that, the kind of correlation between the Muslim religion and that's like genius. I'm literally going to use that. Um, <laughs> but like, that's how I feel. And like, um, so I totally think that that's, that's amazing. Like preach that because, and I think like, um, the other reason is like fake Christians, literally like those Christians who like go to church on Sundays so they can like put it on their Facebook story. Like they're like, Oh my God, look at me. Like I went to church <laughs> and I'm like, you're so annoying. Like, please get out of my face. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough thing. You know, Cause I, I, I obviously as a pastor for 10 years, I would, I go, I go fly somewhere you know, uh, to, to see my family or whatever. And I'd yeah. sit, I'd sit next to somebody and inevitably they always ask you what you do. And a lot of the times I didn't want to tell them because you always get one or two of responses. At least it's like, a, Oh, you're a pastor or a like, Oh, let me tell you this miraculous story that happened to my granddaughter. And then by the end of it, you're like, that's not, that's not a miracle. Like that's called penicillin. Like I don't understand, you know, <laughs> There's a difference between a miracle and how medicine works, lady. You know what I mean? And, and so <laughs> I always struggled because I, I, people, people are hostile towards Christianity, and I get why a lot of the times. But the, the analogy that I give them is uh, if, if I hire a plumber to come in and fix some issue that I'm having – and he is rude and he you know, jacks up my plumbing worse and overcharges me and all these things – is that a reflection on the plumber or the, the, the skill of plumbing? It's a reflection on the plumber. Like I, you, can, you can literally have 100 plumbers come through, be rude, mistreat you, and not have any idea what they're doing. But that's not a reflection on the validity of the practice of indoor plumbing. Like somewhere there is a book that says this is how you install a sink. Just because I run into 100 plumbers that are 
too stupid to install the sync properly does not mean that the correct answer isn't in the book. And if it was executed properly, you would be very happy with the end result. And so I tell people, you know, there's, there's like something like 23 million Christians in the United States, which means that, that oh no, I'm sorry, it's like 230 million, uh, and, which means that you can meet 2.3 million of us, think that we are all fill in the blanks and you haven't met 99% of us. So, wow. you know, I just say to, to anybody that listening that is hostile to religion, uh, you know, I would just ask after your 2,300,001, then tell me your opinion. You know what I mean? And I, I get that yeah. that's not fair, but it's one of those things where if I told you, you know, uh, I don't like fast food and you're like, okay, well, what have you tried? Well, I tried Wendy's. What else have you tried? That's the only one. You'd be like, but there's like 75 fast food joints. How are you going to make a decision about fast food as a whole? Because you've tried one location at one Wendy's. Yeah. But that's what people do with religion. They go to one or two churches or even five churches in one town and they make a judgment about Christianity. But there's, you know, 5 million churches in the United States, all with different philosophies on how to do church and how to reach people. So, yeah. you know, to make any judgment call about the faith as a whole, you know, it's really hard to do. Now, I don't mind you saying like, you know, Catholics in this town at this church are not very understanding. Okay, fair enough. You know what I mean? Like you can make that judgment call based on the experience. But when people make general, you know, wide sweeping comments, I'm like, you know, you don't really, you know, you it's impossible to make a judgment call about all of Christianity because it's impossible to even meet 1% of us. Yeah. And that's just in the United States. I mean, there's, you know, probably a billion of us worldwide. So I don't know. I feel that that those opinions are definitely 13 year old angsty Sarah. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, most 30 year olds still have it. So <laughs> don't feel uh, bad. I feel that. But well, I just, I feel like a lot what happened was, um, I just like continued. Um, I never like fully shut out Christianity. I kind of just shut out like the Christians in my community. I was just like, you all annoy me please stop talking to me. <laughs> I don't want to join your book club. Um, stop sending me emails. And, <laughs> um, so, but I'm, I was still always open to the idea of Christianity. And I like got this new friend named Brady and he went to this church and I was, and they do like this, this, um, Sunday school thing. Um, and I went and checked it out because, um, I always tell people that I'm Buddhist because technically it's a philosophy um but then people stop asking me questions uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like okay well I just I want to like come feel your church out he was telling me about their programs and stuff and like he's like well you guys don't seem annoying so let me come feel you out like let's see what you're doing here and it was really cool because I walked in there and I was like oh my god these people are gonna freaking like crucify me and all of this stuff and they're gonna be like please like you're a Buddhist, get out of my house. <laughs> and they're like, Oh my God, that's so cool that you're like trying to um, like learn about other religions and like, you're so open-minded and all this stuff. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was really refreshing experience not to have people be like, believe in my religion, do as I say. And I'm like, chill out, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, a lot of people, a lot of people don't, unfortunately like the dots that like you know you look at you look at the bible and you look at the way that jesus did things and the core dynamic and everything he did was relationship you know um the people talk about the power of christianity changing the world but in actuality it was the power of 12 guys that jesus spent his entire earth you know uh, after after his entire earthly ministry which technically was only three years but uh you know he he found these guys and he said, hey, you know, do you want to do you want to live for something more than yourselves? And then instead of like, OK, well, here's a here's a Bible study program or, hey, come to this like once a week thing where we're going to you know, have music and have coffee and all this stuff. He said, come do life with me. And so I think the biggest mistake that most Christians make is thinking that that uh, the world has any interest in your opinion whatsoever before you've established a relationship. You know, the 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 thing I always say is that, you know, you need to you need to earn the right to be heard. You need to to show them because, you know, when somebody walks into a church, they're gonna assume that everyone there is fake. Because in most 
of society, you know, you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, everybody is photoshopping everything. Everybody is pretending like their life is something that it isn't. And so everyone walks into any organization with the assumption that this is no different than the Instagram feed I just watched. And so you need to show people it's like, hey, you know, the church is not for perfect people. It's a hospital for people that are sick. You know what I mean? So it's a place that is designed to find healing and find relationship and find all of these things. And I think a lot of churches, um, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that sits here and, and defends Christianity as a whole because it's, it's one of those things that um, people are imperfect. And so you are going to find, you know, if I had to guess, I would probably say six out of 10 churches aren't worth going to. Uh, but the ones that are, are really good. And they have, you know, a lot of strategy behind trying to connect with people that aren't like them. And so if you can find one of those churches, and that's maybe one of my long-term goals for One True King Media is to be able to have, you know, I'm going to have podcasts each week and every even number is going to be one about faith. And then every odd number is going to be one just about culture or society or whatever. But on the playlist for all of my faith podcasts, I've thought about having some kind of spot on my website to be able to direct people to good local churches. You know, they put in their area code and it, and it gives them a church in their area that, that is kind of like OTK approved, which, you know, wouldn't really mean much other than making sure that like, hey, do you have a program for young people? Hey, you know, what is your philosophy on on you know, how you approach people and how you treat people and all of those things. Cause it's just, I don't, I generally don't and won't, um, on my podcast, I'm, you're never going to hear me say, Hey, go check out your local church because I have no idea what you're going to get. You know what I mean? You, you could, you can walk into a Lutheran church that uses hymnals exclusively and makes you the entire congregation drink out of one cup, which is really disgusting to me. I went to a Lutheran uh, church yeah. as a kid and I just like, I just refused. I was like, I watched all these people go up and drink out of the same cup. And I'm like, you all are going to have AIDS by the end of this. What are you doing? Uh, but at the same time, I can tell you to check out your local church and you could end up at a really awesome, you know, Assemblies of God church that is like lively and the music's amazing and the relationships are quality and all those things. And so I generally try to connect with an individual and find them a church because it's so hit and miss on what you're going to get. I agree, though. I think that there are garbage churches. I've been to some of them. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on here. Um, Could you tell, is there anywhere that people can find you or you're not have stuff released yet or... No, uh, it's all, um, you can find all of our social media. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things you can find us at OTK Media. Um, as of right now, we aren't indexed on YouTube because we're still working on our first hundred subscribers. But if you go to the search bar and put in One True King uh, Media and One True King is all one word um, into YouTube and search under channels, you'll be able to find us there. Uh, make sure to subscribe and check out our content. And I greatly appreciate you letting me come on and cause controversy and you'll probably <laughs> get some angry tweets. So I apologize in advance. It's totally okay. I get enough of those on my own. So what are a couple more? That's right. Uh, thank you so much for being on here. And thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time.